All right, good morning, everybody. Um, glad everybody's visiting. Sorry about the delay. We had a little technical difficulty, which is not hard to do when I'm running the show up here. So, uh, But this morning, are there, before we get started, are there any announcements that we need to make known to the group? Um, any, any prayer requests, uh, announcements, et cetera, et cetera, that we can be made known if someone needs any anything to, we'll pass it along okay all right let's uh bow our heads and let's uh start with a word of prayer this morning heavenly father we're thankful for another opportunity that we can come together and study your word we're thankful that you have allowed us to see this day especially that we are able to come together and worship you. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for all the answers that it gives us to all of life's questions. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you help us open our minds and open our hearts to this study, that we can take these things and use these things in a way to help spread the borders of your kingdom and, and use this to help further the great commission that you have charged us with. Heavenly Father, we always are mindful of those that are sick and those that are struggling with different trials and tribulations of this life. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to be with them, be with those, those that are struggling with those things, be with us to help us look for opportunities to help them so we can be a strength to them, whether it's emotional or physical, whatever the problem they may be having, that we can help them in any way we can. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your Son, for without his sacrifice, we would not have that hope that we can have being in him, being a part of your kingdom, being a part of this church, and having that hope of a home in heaven. Heavenly Father, once again, help us as we study. Help us open our hearts, open our minds as we study. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this morning, our discussion this morning is going to be on the Great Commission. So if you'll open up your Bibles or turn on your tablets or whatever you use nowadays, uh, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 28 specifically. We're going to probably stay there most of the time, but we'll also mention a few things in uh, Mark 16. So that's the two passages that we're going to be uh, looking at today. So I think the best thing we can do is just go ahead and let's read these uh, two passages together. If anybody would, uh, start there in... Uh, Matthew uh, 28, beginning there in verse 18, going through verse 20. And then someone please uh, flip over to uh, Mark um, 16, beginning there in verse 15, and going through, uh, going through verse uh, 18, please. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now somebody pick up in Mark. Mark 16, 15, and 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel Whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Okay. 
Thank you, guys. So, let me get flipped back over here. Um, obviously, in these two passages, these are, as far as recordings go, these are the final sort of recorded words of our Lord to his apostles. You know, obviously, there was probably other things that were said, you know, and done before he was, before he arose back into heaven. But these are the final things that he recorded or that divine inspiration has recorded for us. And I think it's interesting to note here that this is the final recorded words that we have from Jesus because of what? The importance of the fact that we are commissioned to teach others. You know, that is our number one goal. That is what we are striving to do is to help spread the borders of the kingdom. And, you know, Jesus gave them that commission to carry on his teachings. And this is still pertinent, you know, obviously to us today. So we understand how important it is, obviously, because it is, I think, you know, if we take it by what we have uh, in the inspired word, it's the final words that we have here. So why a commission? You know, why don't we, why don't we call this a commission? Well, this is a directive or a charge to those apostles and to us as well to continue to what? To preach the gospel or to teach the gospel, okay? So we understand how important it is. It was a commission to us because we are a part, as believing Christians, we are a part of the kingdom. We are commissioned to go out and spread the borders of that kingdom. You know, Jesus was about to return to heaven. He was going to return to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. And these marching orders are still pertinent to us today. You know, it's just not for the 11 apostles that were there or all of those that were present. You know, I was reading some different scholars and different things when I was researching this, and there could have been upwards of 500 people there. I don't know. That's just what some people say. But obviously, he was specifically telling the apostles to go out and do this, and obviously, this is a specific charge for us as well. And obviously, this commission gives the template for entrance into what? Into the kingdom of Christ or into the kingdom of God, okay? And it's a very simple, you know, thing when we think about it. You know, there's not a lot of hoops that we have to jump through. There's not a lot of things that we have to do. There's simple things that must be done to become a member of Christ's kingdom or God's kingdom, okay? So that's why we, I think it's called a commission. So all authority. Now, a month ago, we talked a lot about uh, Jesus' authority here on this earth, and we talked about the different, we looked at uh, Matthew, uh, specifically Matthew 21 and different things that he had authority over. You know, Jesus gained all this authority through what? Through the fulfillment of God's word. You know, he fulfilled the prophecy that we talked about last month throughout the Old Testament. He fulfilled God's will, okay? In Hebrews 10, he did that by becoming what? That perfect sacrifice, okay? The Hebrew writer there in Hebrews 10 is comparing what? The sacrifices that were made by the high priest, okay, versus the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. You know, the Hebrew writer wrote there beginning in verse 10, he said, by that will we have been, will, by that will we have been sanctified through what? The offering of the body of Jesus Christ, how many times? Once for all, okay? And every priest stands ministering how? Daily and offering repeatedly these same sacrifices that what? Cannot take away those sins, right? They roll those sins forward, okay? But they don't take those sins away. The only sacrifice that could take those sins away is what? But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. 
from that time, waiting till his enemies are made what? His footstool. For by one offering he has perfected, how long? Forever. Not just a time, not just that period of time like the, the sacrifices that the high priest made, but forever those who are being sanctified. Okay? So this shows you that Jesus gained all of this authority on heaven and on earth. We're going we're to continue to talk about that theme of both now, right? He had that authority on earth, but now, after he has fulfilled God's will, he has gone through this sacrifice. Now he has both that authority in heaven and earth, okay? So let's remember our discussion of God's endorsement, I called it, of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? We talked about this, you know, last month. You know, Moses and Elijah were present there, right? Moses represents what there? He represented the old law, okay? Elijah, in this particular scene, what we want to call it, this particular instance, represented the prophets. And I think it's vital that we understand that God had them come there, and what did he say? He said, who did he want Peter to listen to when he, Peter said, well, we're going to build these altars, right? What did God tell him to do? Listen to Jesus. Not listen to Moses, not listen to Elijah, who represented the old law and the prophets, but listen to Jesus, okay? So once again, we talked about that authority that God gave Jesus here on earth, but now that the sacrifice has been made, he has that authority on heaven and earth, okay? So after that resurrection, Jesus tells his apostle what? That he'd been given authority both in heaven and on earth, all right? There's various passages that supports Jesus' claim to this authority. Now, we talked about some of these passages last month, but we're going to delve more into this, and we're going to delve more into this from God's point of view, okay? That's what I want us to think about here. You know, in Acts 4.12, it's written there, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for right here, for there is no other name under what? Heaven, right? No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So who is the authority by which we must be saved? Jesus, okay? He's the only authority, right? No other name. Ephesians 1, beginning there in verse 19, Paul wrote the Ephesians there. He said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in who? In Christ, when he raised him from the dead, right here, and seated him at his right hand in where? Heavenly places, right? We're starting to talk about heaven now. After what? After he has been risen from the dead, okay? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name, what? That is named, okay? Not only in this age, but also what? In the age to come. And that he put all things under his feet. So that would give him authority over what? All things, right? And gave him to be head over what? All things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. Okay? So, far above principality, power, might, and dominion. Okay? Talking about here where? On earth. Right? Kings, presidents, whatever you want to say. Also, everything was put under his feet and also in what? The heavenly places. Okay? So, just to remember, we're talking about heaven and earth now. You know, God refers to Jesus as God in various passages throughout the New Testament. There's ten instances in the New Testament that God refers to Jesus as God, okay? And I picked out a couple here to talk about. 
You know, in Philip, uh, Philippians 2, beginning there in verse 5, very familiar passage to us. It says what? It says, let this mind be in you, which was also Christ Jesus. For right here, who being in the form of what? Of God. Okay? Did not consider it robbery to be equal with who? With God. But what did he do? Goes on through that passage. He humbled himself, came to earth, right? He humbled himself. He fulfilled God's will that we just talked about, right? That's correct. That's correct. Because he was a part of the Godhead, obviously, right? Because what? We talked about last month. John, John 1, what does it say there? Very familiar passage. What's John 1, 1 say? And the word was God, right? So we understand from the beginning where Jesus' place was. In Hebrews 8, or Hebrews 1, excuse me, beginning in verse 8, right here, it says, but to the Son, He, He being God. What does He say here? Your throne, O God. He didn't say your throne, O Son. He said, or your throne, O Jesus. He said, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of what? Your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, okay, he's not talking about, God's not talking about himself right there, is he? He's saying, therefore, God, your God has what? Has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, talking about right there, he's talking about Jesus once again here, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Okay? So we understand that God is talking about here, he's talking about Jesus, and he's referring to Jesus, his son refers to him as God. Okay? So some things to think about, and remember as we're, we're studying and talking about how Jesus has the authority to be able to, have, to give the apostles this commission. Okay? So, Let's continue on here and talk about the commission that he talks about. So we understand the authority which he has. We understand the authority which he's been given because he fulfilled God's will. So let's continue here and look where it says, Go ye. You know, he says right there, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Okay? So Jesus commissioned his disciples to go. So obviously there requires action, right? That requires some kind of activity. That requires us something for us to do, right? So we have to be uh, active. That's the word I'm looking for there. We have to be active in our work here on this earth. And it's not just oral communications. Obviously, we have to tell those the gospel. Obviously, we have to speak about the knowledge that we have, right? We have to give those folks you know, that opportunity to hear what? Hear the gospel. Because what? Faith comes by how? Hearing. Okay? So we understand that we have to speak for someone to hear. But we also have to be a good example as well. We have to live like God would want us to live. Okay? So we have to be what? That salt. What we are. We are the salt of the earth. Right? We're also what? The light of the world. Right? What did Jesus talk about in Matthew 5? So he talked about us being these things, and those things are being what? Examples. You know, we could be that light and show that light. You know, it talks about that throughout the, the New Testament. Okay? So not only is it not just oral communication, 
and teaching and telling those the gospel, but it's also being a good, you know, example. Now, I'm going to put a plug in here for Brother Cackleman. Uh, John's father was very nice and, and gave me some notes that he did a sermon on this particular subject. And I've used some of those notes as some, as to help me with my study. And one of the points that he made I thought was very, very pertinent. God is not so much concerned about our capability as he is about what? Our availability. And I thought that was a very good point. And I think two parables that we can talk about here, we can discuss, is the parable of the talents and the parable of the sower. Now let's think about, I didn't want to necessarily just read this, but I wanted to talk about it together. A synopsis of the parable of the talents is what? There was three guys who got talents, right? They didn't get the same amount of talents, but they all received talents, did they not? They were all to what? Use those talents, right? Now, the two faithful and righteous servants did what? They used their talents correctly. Now, the one talent man, what did he do? He buried his talent. Now, in anything in that parable, did it talk about how the Lord said, you should have brought me more than what you brought me? No. What did he say? He said you should, you should, he told the unfaithful servant or the unrighteous servant, he said you should have used my talent some way, even if you just put it in the bank and gave me some interest, for the lack of a better description for layman's terms here, right? So it's not about how much we produce. There's not a quota. There's not a number. No, nowhere in that great commission did it say you, gotta, you got this many souls you got to bring to me, did it? No. But we've got to use our talents. We've got to use them and be available with them when we have opportunity, right? We've got to use what we're capable of using and be available when we have the opportunity, okay? And that's what I want us to think about here. You know, we don't have to be the smartest Bible scholar in the world, but if someone asks us about our faith, we need to be willing to talk to them about it. You know, we need to be available when those opportunities arrive. You know, and it's just like the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower, what did he do? He went out and sowed in all types of ground. Did he not? Was he successful in all those grounds? No. So it's up to who? It's up to also the ground, the hearer of the word, to accept it. Okay? So that's what I want us to remember, is that we just have to be use our capabilities to the best of our ability, and we also have to be available when those opportunities arise and not bury our talent and not get discouraged when we may sow in some ground that doesn't, that's not productive, okay? So that's things to help us remember in this great commission, that it's important for us to be that salt and that light. It's important to us to have, you know, that knowledge that we can share, and it's also important to be available when we can, okay? So, yes? on this uh, several years ago to me, uh, specifically about the Great Commission. And, and he said a lot of times people think that they need to be formally trained and stuff like that, not just not necessarily people in the church, but even though you know, even those people, some think that. But it doesn't say go to Faulkner and go through the Bible. You know, your Bible degree or... or Free or it just says go, and uh, it was meant for that. 
anybody can go and teach. Right. Uh, as long as they know the truth. And if you know the truth, that's that's your responsibility. Right. Absolutely. I, I think a lot of folks get hung up too on the fact that they're not, they, they may not feel qualified. But during a study with anybody, you're going to learn as much as, as they will. You may not know book, chapter, and verse, but that's part of why you study with somebody else, even, is you, you'll, you'll, you'll learn that. Right. As long as you know about where to find it, use that and, and you proceed. That's right. It's that Moses Aaron mentality. You know, Moses Moses tried to get out of every way he could to do what? To do what God wanted him to do. And God said, Look, you're gonna take Aaron with you. If you can't talk about it, Aaron can. You know, so you it's that it's that mentality and we get intimidated because we're scared that somebody's gonna ask us a question that we don't know. And we're gonna look like <laughs> we don't know. And so if you can get over that that hump for yourself, you can help yourself when you're talking to others. Absolutely. Back in the first century, the goal was, you know, you yourself traveling, the apostles traveling. Today, we got more means of going. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, someone that has converted somebody over the internet. Mm-hmm. Never saw them, never talked to them, it was all hiding. There are means today that we have more ways of going. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the technology that, that, uh, that we have now that God has blessed us with the, the knowledge enough to use technology in a way that, that we can reach folks in an instant. You know, it's not even putting it in the mailbox and hoping it gets there nowadays, but you can hit send and it's there instantly. So yes, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful piece of technology that we have available to us that these guys obviously, you know, didn't have. So all of those things, what? Help us with our availability. You know, in in 1 Corinthians 3, what does Paul say there? He said he planted. He didn't say anything about doing the increase, did he? Apollos watered. Apollos didn't do the increase, did he? God gave the increase. So what are we to do? We're to sow and we're to use our talents. We're to plant, we're to water, and God's going to give the increase. Okay? Pretty simple. So, teaching all nations. You know, not then, and I think this is interesting here because in the context in which we got to think about when this was said, right? You know, you've got two different types of people in the world at this time. We've got what? We've got Jews and we've got Gentiles. Were they very friendly with each other? No, they were not, right? So, you know, we have to remember when God told them to go teach all nations, he was talking to a group of men that weren't necessarily ready to go teach Gentiles. And think about where Jesus was doing most of his teaching. He was teaching where? In the synagogues, right? Were there Gentiles in the synagogues? No. They were standing outside. A lot of them stood outside hoping to get some of that knowledge. They wanted that knowledge, but they didn't have access to it, right? So he was teaching to a group of men that didn't necessarily, you know, were not necessarily ready to jump up and go talk to a bunch of Gentiles. You know, and that also requires us to teach folks that are what? Probably outside our normal audience, okay? And that's things that we have to remember. That goes back to that availability, okay? We have to, use, we have to be able to see those opportunities and, and have those opportunities. When those opportunities arise, whoever it might be, okay? 
So that's what I want you to think about there. And then as we get over into Acts, you know, we hear, we, we talk a lot about how the gospel was introduced to the Gentiles, right? You know, Peter said there in Cornelius' house, he said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Is that true today? Yes. But in every nation who fears him and works righteousness is what? Is accepted by who? By him. Okay? So God does not show partiality. And this was hard for them to understand. This was going to be something hard for them to wrap their minds around. Okay? In Romans 12, Paul wrote there, he said, For there is what? No distinction between who? Between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Okay? So there's no distinction. There's no partiality. So we need to take this and understand that that, that holds true today. Okay? So things to remember when we're thinking about how we need to teach all nations. So baptizing or making them disciples. You know, there's only one baptism excuse me, that fulfills this commission. You know, in Ephesians, it talks about one body, one spirit. There's one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, and what? One baptism. It doesn't say up there that there's multiple ways you can be baptized. It doesn't say you can be sprinkled if you want to. It doesn't say you can be poured on if you want to. It says there's one. And we're going to talk about what that is here in just a second. There's one God and one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Okay? So we understand that there's only one baptism. And that baptism, <clears throat> we're going to talk about in just a second. But before we move on, let's discuss who needs to be made disciples. Okay? There's a certain person that qualifies as a person that could be a disciple, okay, of Christ. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a second. I know that sounds weird. But think about Nicodemus. And I want you to think about Nicodemus as we go in and talk about baptism. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, here, right here, this is the key, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and what? Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, the first person that we ought to, or first group that we ought to probably take out of this particular equation is who? Infants. You know, we have a very large denomination or group of people that believe that infants need to be baptized. You can go up there right down the hall right now, and Story and Lee's up there singing to those babies just as hard as she can sing. But she's not talking to them about baptism. She's not talking to them about the condition of their souls. She's talking to them about creation. She's singing to them and telling them about God and those things. But those things are not pertinent to infants. Those things are not pertinent to those children down that wing of this building. Okay? So the first thing we need to remember is, is that when we're talking especially to folks of other denominations, especially one particular large, we're not going to call any names, but there is a particular person that can be born or can be born again, and infants are not one of them, okay? So, we need to remember that. Proper baptism requires three points. It is a burial, okay? It's a burial that uh, 
Paul talked about in Romans 6. He says, therefore we are buried with him through baptism. Is sprinkling buried? No. Pouring on somebody buried? No. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. So we have to be buried with Christ in baptism, okay, just as Christ was buried. You know, baptism is also needed for the forgiveness of sins. It's not a ceremonial thing to allow us to become members of some denomination, okay? It is something that we do to receive forgiveness of our sins. You know, Paul, when he was recounting his, um, his baptism and his conversion, um, there in Acts twenty two sixteen, the question was, and now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized in what? Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In Acts 2.38, a very familiar passage to us, it says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for what? Not for entrance into our church, not to become a member of our church, but what? To be, to have remission or forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we understand those two points. And also, baptism is made under the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You know, and you can go back and look at this example when what? When Jesus was baptized himself, okay? He set this pattern because what? As he came up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, lit on him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, okay? So we understand these points about baptism. Correct. That's right. And that's why when you look here, it says what? It says the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit there in the end of verse 19. Okay? Yes? I think we ought to remember also it's important that God adds to the church that such as be saved as it says in Acts. Yes. Not the preacher. No. Not anybody that makes up a role. It's not the elders. Right. It's God that adds to the church. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's important for us when we're remembering and talking about this that our job is to what? Is to teach. Our job is to bring the gospel to those who have not heard the gospel. Our job is to be the right example to hopefully start maybe that conversation with someone that doesn't know the gospel. And if we fulfill our obligation, if they're willing to hear the word and they're willing to what? To come and believe and repent and confess and be baptized, then God is going to add them to his church. Okay? So it's important that we remember that. It's important that we don't get discouraged, but it's important that we use our talents, like we talked about just a minute ago. Now, teaching them to observe all things. Okay? So, teaching is a present tense, correct? It's not talking about something that has been done and that we don't have to do anymore. Right? This is a continual process. This is something that we need to continually try to do. Okay? It goes back to that availability. It goes back to that, that opportunities that we have. It goes back to using our talents, being capable, but also, you know, being available when those opportunities arise. Okay? So this is a continual process. This is something that we continue to do daily. And I think a very good uh, passage to think about of all, you know, teaching them to observe all things, right? You know, there's a lot of things that we need to do and we need to observe. And we could sit up here uh, for probably a whole year and talk about all of these, 
you know, different things and what we are to do to teach, to observe. But I think it's a very good synopsis on, uh, in 2 Peter 1, beginning in verse 5. It says what? But also for this very reason, first, giving all diligence. Okay? So if you're giving all diligence, what are you doing? You're continuing to work on it, right? If you're being diligent in something, you're not just going to stop, right? You're going to continue to work on these things and continue to do these things. Add to what? Your faith, virtue, and to, your, and to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance. So all of these things are what? Are things that we should help others to observe that Jesus has taught us, right? To control perseverance, to perseverance what? Godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. What does it talk about in 1 Corinthians 13? What's the greatest of all things? Love. And if you have love, are all these other things going to fall in line? Right. You know, you're going to have you're going to have that faith, you're going to have that virtue, you're going to have that knowledge, that self-control, that perseverance, the godliness, the brotherly kindness, okay? We're going to give honor to our, our brethren, you know, that it talks about, okay? So, for if these things are yours and abound, all right, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So, if we're bearing fruit and we're being fruitful, okay, we're being what? Productive members, in God's kingdom. For he who lacks these things is what? Short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, what? Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. And by doing that, we're going to do what? We're going to continue to take the Great Commission and spread the gospel. Okay? Yes, sir. You know, one thing I think we get back to it, I mean, I can use Johnny over and talk about it, you know, higher lawyers taught, they use the Socratic method. If you really think about it, the best way to teach somebody and, and apply this, in fact, to teach yourself is to ask the questions and become a good question asker instead of a fact giver. Because you think about it, some of the greatest, the greatest lessons Jesus taught were asking questions like John 8 when he asked the woman, woman, where are your accusers? He asked a question, he didn't, and he, she says, they're not here, Lord, uh, and then basically, you know, he tells her, he says, well, I, I do not accuse you either, but go and sin no more. So he asked a question and then gave a, a response that's mm -hmm. not attacking, and sometimes I think that's the problem we get in uh, emotional where we want to be right. Here's what right. the Bible says. That's right. It. Yeah. It's pretty simple. It's in black and white or red. In fact, what you said, sow it. Right. Sometimes we have to sow the seed. Sometimes that ground is hard. Yes. And you just ask a question, and then you have to let it go. Mm-hmm. And at some point, possibly a little rain hits that hard soil with the seed sitting on it, all of a sudden it springs to life. So right. Don't discount questions, I guess. No, no. I, and, and, and if you look throughout God, um, Jesus' ministry, you know, and we talked about it last month. When when they came and questioned his authority, what did he do? He flipped it back on them and asked them a question. You remember? I mean, he flipped it back on them and said, was, was John's baptism of, of men or of heaven? And so, you know, he, he throughout his ministry, he did that. Whether he was being confronted, you know, 
he would ask a question. Or just like you're saying, he would ask questions to generate or, you know, to try to get some thought or provoke some thought, provoke some reaction from the, you know, from that, maybe that audience that he's talking to in that particular time or particular instance. And that's how you make the calling election sure is ask the question, well, Right, and it's a continual process. It's it's a continual. It's just like you said. It's it's something that we we had to continue to do. And we if we continue to ask those questions, we continue to try to learn. You know, learn those lessons. I guess to say, you know. I mean, something that made me think about it. I didn't say it. Last night was I was in a large denominational church in this town one time, and I walked in there. And, you know, their normal way of uh, salvation would be sprinkling. Mm-hmm. But I noticed there was this big pool of water thing. I said, why do you have that in here? Those, those that want to be baptized by immersion, I said, when did y'all start teaching that? Right. I was asking questions to try to get them to think about it. That's right. Well, does the Bible give me a choice? You know, this, for people, which choice they want to make? I said, well, does the Bible really give me a choice? That's right. And that's why I use questions. That's why I'm mm-hmm. questions. I'm trying to get them to think. What does the Bible say? That's right. And that's and that's definitely what we got to go by. So you're exactly right. And and to be able to generate that, just to generate that thought process for them to be able to do more studying, absolutely. Doesn't this also mean that this concept is to be completely wrapped around our daily walking life? Yes, absolutely. This this particular commission is not. What we're gonna do next week. Right. This is an everyday thing here. Right. And and and. Teaching and making disciples and all these are present tense, you know, type verbs. It's it's for it's for a continual process. A content. I don't want to say job, but it's it's a a goal and a continual thing that we should be working on. As as members of the church, as members of, of God's kingdom. I like to think about his boot camp <laughs> There you go. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of thinking about it. Absolutely. So. I'm with you always. Now, next month, I'm going to delve into this topic a, a, a lot deeper. But just to think about some things, you know, Jesus is now at the right hand of God, but he's still with us today. Okay? We understand that. God has told us throughout his inspired word that he will be with us. He's not going to, you know, leave us alone. He's going to be with us. He's going to strengthen us. And we have that comfort. That's very comforting when we have different trials and tribulations or when we're trying to sow uh, the seed in what? That hard ground. And not to be, not to become what? Be, you know, discouraged or disappointed about maybe the, the, our efforts, you know, and that kind of thing. You know, in Isaiah 41, verse 10, Isaiah wrote, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Here, the God saying, Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will what? Strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay? In Psalms 27.1, David wrote there, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to fear because the Lord is our light and our salvation. Okay? And in Romans 8.38, we're going to finish up right here. Very familiar passage. What then shall we can say? What, should, what then shall we say to these things? It says right here: If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, next month we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we're going to delve off into um, how God has given us a Comforter, 
and how we can you how the Holy Spirit you know works within us today a little bit. I'm not by any means an expert on this. So in my limited knowledge, we're going to talk about this next month. I better put that plug in. So, uh, but we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit helps us today and be that comfort that we have. But knowing this, we know that God's with us. We know God is going to help us and help us when we're trying to teach, help us when we're trying to what? Spread the borders of his kingdom with the Great Commission. So any questions or comments this morning? All right. Well, I appreciate all the comments. I appreciate the kind attention. Thank y'all. And I think I'm just about... Well, I'm too